TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And as we head to the month of April, uh, we had a request from a fan uh, recently on email suggesting that uh, we should do uh, something on autism because uh, of the month of April being uh, Autism Awareness Month. And uh, we actually had this interview scheduled, and it's perfect timing because uh, we have one of the leading experts on autism. Um, I'd like to introduce you to an associate professor of neurology at the Harvard Medical School, which uh, is probably one of the smartest people we've actually had on the show so far. Uh, uh, she's also a pediatric neurologist at uh, the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, and uh, it's just an incredible honor to actually have Dr. Martha Herbert, who is be coming to Australia, actually, to speak at the Mind Forum um, in May in Sydney. And uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Martha. My pleasure. Dr. Herbert, uh, you've written a book um, called the, the Autism Revolution. In the book, you talk a lot about um, how the autism is actually increasing. Now, I know some, I don't have the most recent stat, but I know in 2000, we had about, it was one in 150, and then it just doubled by about 2008 to one in 88. Now, I'm sure it's gone worse. Um, I don't have the most recent stat on that. Could you kind of explain to our fans um, how, you're, how you got to this place in terms of your journey? Um, and I know you were looking into genetics, possibly as the attributing factors of autism, but you found um, in your research over the last sort of 17 years or so that uh, that's not necessarily the truth. Sure. Actually, I never was totally biased toward genetics because I have a long history of thinking about the shortcomings of, of giving genetics all the credit for things. Of course, it's important, but it just isn't everything. Hmm. Uh, when I got into this thing 17, 18, 19 years ago, we were told that the numbers uh, with autism were three or four per 10,000, and it keeps on going up. There's still people who say that, well, it isn't really going up. It's just that we're recognizing it more. And I think the real answer is that, yes, we are recognizing it more, but yes, the numbers are also going up, and that's one of the reasons we're recognizing it more. So I don't think it has to be all that all the numbers are true increases or that none of the numbers are. Uh, and really, between the numbers going up and people getting better from autism and a number of other things, I think we have to go back to basics and rethink what we fundamentally think autism is because it's really something different than what we thought it was. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that, Dr. Herbert, and I'm looking forward to meeting you because I'm actually going to be uh, hosting the paleo section at the Mind Forum, and it's going to be amazing. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it there. But why? What? What is the misunderstanding people have got about autism? Like, what? What do they think it is, and what is it really? Well, people have thought that when you have a developmental disorder, your your brain is broken for life. I just don't think that's really what's going on. It isn't set in stone before you're born. Instead, it's something that develops from a cascade of oftentimes very commonplace problems like poor nutrition and inflammation and infection and so forth. So it's something that grows into happening, and then it's also something that you don't necessarily have to get. Um, 
And then people have, it isn't this fixed wiring diagram. It's something which varies a whole lot from moment to moment. And there's some things like having a fever where a certain number of people with autism get a whole lot better. There was a woman, uh, a researcher in Canada who told me and my colleagues a story that she had a 33-year-old patient with autism who never talked and was considered, quote-unquote, low-functioning. She had orthopedic surgery, and she came into the recovery room, and her mother walked in, and she looked at her mother, made eye contact, and said, I love you. Wow. I know I've been a burden on you, and I'm so grateful for what you've done to take care of me, and I just want you to know that I'm so thankful. And they had several hours of genuine communion, and they were talking to each other, and it was the first time that ever happened. And then the woman went to sleep, and when she woke back up again, she couldn't talk anymore. But her brain, for a number of hours, broke loose of what we were calling a lifelong problem. And, and after something like that happens, you can't look at that woman the same again, and you can't look at anybody with autism the same again. Yeah, so we're really talking about the, the neuroplasticity, aren't we? You know, we've read that in books like The Brain That Changes Itself and, you know, this understanding that we used to think of kind of the brain as being once it's set in stone, that's how it is, but we now understand that our environment has a huge interplay in that, doesn't it? Yeah, and not only that, but that our brain creates what it is every single second by the electrical single, signals it makes and by the whole chemical environment in the, the brain that shapes how the brain can make those signals. And your chemistry isn't laid down in a wiring diagram. It depends on your food and your state of mind and your sleep and so forth. When somebody, so I, would, I think of autism as a state of extreme vulnerability where you're really sitting on the edge and little things can tip you one way or tip you another way. And for most people, they've tipped them solidly over an edge, but it doesn't mean that it's really... A, a thing about being broken. Dr. Herbert, it seems that uh, what you're implying is that there's potentially recovery from this and, and that people could, you know, potentially come back from being having been diagnosed with autism. Is that what you're finding? You find that it doesn't appear to be as permanent as what we might have thought in the past? Yes, and in my book, I have I have 10 chapters and eight of them tell stories of people who got a lot better and several of them left the autism diagnosis behind. Um, but I think because we think of it as something that's broken and set in the stone in the brain by genes, we miss things that are staring us right in the face that, 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 that can really help. One and so I think one of my missions is to get people to be aware that there's a lot we can do. The subtitle of my book is Whole Body Strategies to Make Life All It Can Be. And that gives a kind of a flavor of what I think we can do on an everyday basis. So one of the strategies that you talk a lot about as, you know, as part of the whole revolution is to look at nutrition. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about how nutrition, how your, your research has found that nutrition is actually affecting autism and how that can be, you know, changed so that to actually have the improvements of that. It was a very interesting thing to figure out how to convey this in a book. My target audience was families who may not have any kind of doctor who can really talk with them with a hopeful message about autism. And I think one of the first things to look at is the quality of the diet. 
and there are two problems, the two big problems, one of them, like certainly in the United States, we have a diet where so many people rely on junk food and processed foods, and they don't get a high nutrient density unprocessed foods. And when you don't get that, your body is missing out on thousands of things that are in the food that can really help us be healthy. So one thing is just eating a high nutrient density diet. And the other thing is that a lot of people with autism restrict their diets a whole lot. Like many kids will just eat cheese and crackers and macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, and that's it. Honestly, that's not a healthy diet. And, <laughs> that, that might that might shock some people, but hopefully not obviously. <laughs> so I mean, that's those things are really important, and you can take all the pharmaceuticals you want, and you can do all the other stuff you want. But if your diet is poor, you're pushing a rock uphill, and it's going to fall back down. And so, Dr. Herbert, are there any particular foods that you've found have a really significant effect? Like, is it the fats for the brain or is it the, um, you know, the fruits and vegetables? Or, you know, are there any things you've found that, that seem to have a more significant impact in, in terms of autism than others? I think it's a combination of those things. Yeah. I'm working with a residential facility in upstate New York where they give the people who come there who are severely affected by autism uh, organic food that they grow there, a vigorous exercise, regular sleep, and they develop a healthy bowel regimen. And we're doing a study to demonstrate what we're, what, what's going on here. And we all, we all think that it's not any one thing. It's the whole combination of a healthy way of life. I recommend in my book, rainbow colors in the, in the diet, many different colors, definitely healthy fats, um, lots of minerals, and um, it's the balance and combination of all of these things. that I, I love the book Nourishing Traditions as a yeah. wonderful way of, and I, should, I grew up in, a, in an immigrant family, and so I grew up with a lot of food like that, uh, with the thick bone broths and cultured food and so forth. And it just makes a whole lot of sense, and I think it's, it's better that we maximize the quality of our food and not be cavalier about it. Mm, that's a great point. I'm, now, I'm Doctor... With the kids, I mean, smoothies and getting kids involved with playing with the, with playing with the colors and cho- choosing things, and over time, even the ones who refuse to eat food will come around. That's true. We've seen the same thing, I think, in practice. Uh, all three of us have. Dr. Herbert, uh, you nearly said a dirty word. Uh, which got me very excited, actually. Uh, it's a word that uh, may not be used a lot in the US, but in Australia and in New Zealand, we're very comfortable with using the word poo. Uh, now, hopefully that word, given your experience, um, won't offend you. But I'd like to talk a little bit about that. A lot of people in Australia and New Zealand and in the US and the United <laughs> Kingdom around the world think that doing a poo every now and then is okay. And uh, I recently watched a television show the other day where there was a gentleman on the show who moved his bowels once every two weeks. It's my feeling that um, children don't move their bowels enough and many parents are a bit disconnected from what their children do with their bowel movements and that bowel movements are a great indicator of not only gastrointestinal health but the health of the child. Is that also something that you might have found with children with poor diet? Uh, that their bowels are a good indicator. Oh, yeah. There's a wonderful book that I don't know if they sell it in Australia, but it's called The Little Brown Book. 
and the title is What Your Poo Is Telling You. And the book... <laughs> I have that book at my practice. It sits on, <laughs> it sits on the chairs in my practice. Frankly, so we'd be amazed if you didn't, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm not surprised. I have two versions. I have the colouring book, and I have the, <laughs> you only need a brown, a brown marker for. And I have an iron yellow if you're colouring in corn. And then, I, then I've also got uh, the actual little cartoon book, which I love, and my practice members love it. It's a top. It's a talking uh, oh, topic. <laughs> multiple shades of brown. Eh? I don't whose college roommate was one of the authors so I got done on it a while ago yeah yeah no, it's tremendously important I just had lunch today with Alessio Fasano who's one of the premier uh, gut and celiac disease researchers who just moved to my hospital and we I have actually a collection of frozen poo from babies who are at risk for autism and I started collecting this poo from two-week-olds who had older siblings with autism so I was negotiating with him about whether he would run my samples to study the microbiome. Yeah, and what? So early on, serious jealousy. You know, were 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 not doing well. He just published a study like that in celiac with kids who were at risk for celiac. Um, but I mean, I have a very strong feeling that the, the gut microbiome is going to be messed up, starting mm. from a very age and getting mm. worse. Uh, now, I'll just elaborate, just to, I'll just to finish off this point, um, there's a number of uh, researchers uh, doing work on this, and one of the guys that I know of that's doing work on this is a, a guy you may know, Patrice Carney, or Canny, um, in the US. He seems to be doing quite a lot of work in it. But um, there was some research that I remember reading about autism and maybe the firing or the triggering of, you know, the decline um, following the use of certain antibiotics and the knocking off of, of the biota in the gut um, and also the disruption of signals in the gut for the digestion of protein. Have, is that something that's still a common theory? Are we talking about early use of high-dose, broad-spectrum antibiotics as potentially being an issue for children? In the United States, it hasn't been a common theory, but there are some exceedingly prominent and well-placed researchers who are getting into it, such as Jim Collins at Boston University, who's in a MacArthur, MacArthur Fellowship awardee and is looking at mm. you know, antibiotics. Some of that data shows you give an antibiotic, you knock some, some species down, and then they come back. But over time, they come back slower. And, and then or later on, they, some of these species don't come back at all. And I've also seen data that there are holes in the ecological diversity of the gut organisms in people with autism. They're just missing bugs that they need. It's as if you wiped out some beautiful flowers and you had weeds come back and sure. take over the space. So it's I a, think that's to be a gigantically big deal. But, but I think we're just seeing the beginning of it in terms of the high-level science. Yeah. You know that uh, Damien's already booking his flight to Boston right now, so I'm on my way <laughs> to see those poop. <laughs> uh, Dr. Herbert, uh, you, one of the other aspects uh, beyond nutrition uh, for the autism revolution you're talking about is also the toxins um, that are, we're exposed to in our environment, um, not just in the environment itself, but also in our own household. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what those toxins might be, um, the common household products that we are exposed to constantly that people might not be aware of, and how that affects our health and wellness, and even just just, you know, I think you were talking about even living close to a freeway could be creating some problems there. Yeah, there's several published papers about living close to a freeway, significantly increasing risk of autism. So I have wow. talked about 
things in my book, Food Toxins, Bugs, and Stress, and the bugs are infection and also the good bugs. But toxins, you know, the thing for me, the way I think about it is it isn't just the toxins, it's what they do to you. And um, so it isn't like you need a whole lot of any one toxin because they all mess you up. They mess up your liver. They mess up your a whole bunch of important chemical processes. And uh, so there was a comedian in the 60s and 70s named Dick Gregory. And he used to go around saying, don't eat anything you can't pronounce. So when you look at the side of your box of food or a box of chemicals that are under your sink, you don't know what it is. Maybe you shouldn't be using it or if it just sounds too much like a, a high-level chemistry class. Um, there are a lot of ways to clean your house without using that stuff. There's also another way that parents can put themselves at risk without realizing it. A couple gets married, they buy a house, and then they decide to remodel the house at the same time that the, that the, the mother is, the wife is pregnant. So when you remodel the house, there's all this dust and all these varnishes and all these chemicals that you breathe and you take in. And that's not really a good idea because a mother in the year before she has a baby and during the pregnancy and during infancy, the, the, the infant and the mother's ability to, to, to gestate a healthy infant is very vulnerable. So uh, I would say to absolutely minimize the number of chemicals you're exposed to, educate yourself about non-toxic ways to clean your house. A lot of the reason that these chemicals are sold is so that somebody can make money, not so that you can be healthy. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I, I love that point about don't eat anything you can't pronounce. I really like that one. That's awesome. Now, uh, Dr. Dr. Herbert, I think if we're talking about the subject of autism, it'd be remiss of us not to mention, I guess, the big controversy and the big the debate that's been around in terms of autism. And the one that you hear a lot, which is the, the link or not link between autism and, and vaccination. Um, what's, what's the latest update on that? What's, what's your sort of take on that? I, I mean, basically, the official position is that there's really no connection. Now, my concern, I think of autism as a final, as a common, as an outcome of a lot of different things that pile up. Mm. And people who have, who are developing allergies, who have colic, who can't sleep, who have so many kids with autism have lots and lots of ear infections when they're little babies, and then they get lots of antibiotics, and then they start having diarrhea. And they and in that condition, they're actually getting weak in a lot of different ways. And someone like that could really not be healthy enough to be able to handle a vaccine. The way I like to think about it is you really need, need to maintain the health of the whole person. Hmm. And even though vaccines are intended to protect people's health, it, they work best in people who are healthy. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's and then a lot of kids just aren't very healthy. That's a great point, Dr. Herbert. I think, um, you know, there's, there doesn't appear to be any single one cause to this. And we can see that certainly because there's many children in the world that have been vaccinated um, and haven't developed um, autism. And then there's many children who have been vaccinated um, who have developed um, autism. And, uh, and so it's hard, definitely hard to, to pin it. But the health of the whole organism, I think, is really important, much the same as the health of the whole organism of the planet. 
Um, and you mentioned before that you know avoiding chemicals for things that you can't um, pronounce or you don't know how to read uh, is is very very important. And certainly that I would think would ring true with what might be inside a vaccine. Given that um, there's a lot of words in there that I certainly don't understand, um, but I would think that some of the things that are in vaccines can also be, um, you know, in as a single entity potentially dangerous to the human body but of course you know there's obviously safety data that goes with that but the the mix of bad food bad gut health and then some other kind of trauma in, in which case we're talking about um an injury that might have occurred from from chemicals going to the body that certainly needs to be considered i think and then doing everything that you possibly can to improve the health of the person from then on not just trying to fix one problem You've got to make the whole of the, the body better appears to be the way to go and this is this is the it's systems biology. That's an emerging area of looking at how everything is connected with everything else, and how when you keep each part healthy, you're giving the other parts a chance to repair themselves. Uh, and it's all important, even things that seem little. They're all important because what you want to do is make the whole greater than the sum of its parts, and the health come from a combination of good things. Also, one of the things that you talk a lot about is also calming the brain chaos. Um, Obviously, we kind of discussed that with regards to decreasing inflammation. Could you expand on that concept? Absolutely. Well, the way I build it up in the book is I say, look, genes aren't everything. You also can do something about your environment. You've got to take care of the cells and their energy, and you've got to take care of the gut and immune system. And then I say, well, if you have problems in these areas, what does that do to the brain? And I explain explain the brain's energy and immune systems, and when they're sick, how the brain is really, really burdened and can't keep up with the demands that are placed on it. And I explain that they're that there are these glial cells. I just saw an article today that if you inject human glial cells into mice, they get a lot smarter. Well, in brain inflammation, which a lot of people with autism have, the, the, the glial cells get sick and they get distracted. And I suspect that what we're going to find out down the road is that when a child regresses into autism, it's because the housekeeping functions performed by the glial cells and the, the ability of the cells to make energy is so worn down by all of the environmental problems and nutritional shortfalls that it just crosses a tipping point and can't hold its own anymore, and that's where you get a regression. But I think that's also why we can turn a lot of these around, especially if we start really right away. Um, we don't think we tend to think if you read just the newspapers or TV that the brain is just a bunch of neurons. There are more of these glial cells um, than neurons. I have a blog. I have a number of blogs about this on my Autism Why and How website, which you can get to through my book website, autismrevolution.org, where I explain the science in terms that a lot of people can understand. I also do that in my book in chapter five. I think that when you make the body healthy, you give the brain a chance to be healthier too. When the brain is dragged down, it makes a lot of noise inside itself because the cells are all overstimulated but disorganized. And when you calm that down, the brain can function in a more organized way. So you need the whole body health for the brain. 
That makes total sense. I mean, just from a chiropractic point of view, I've, I've taken care of a lot of autistic kids, and I know a lot of chiropractors have, and that m- explains why you know some of the chiropractic adjustments actually um, work so well is simply because we're actually trying to influence the brain. It calms the brain down to allow um, to, to the brain for the nervous system to actually function a bit better. So that that makes it total sense. So thanks. Absolutely. You want to change from a vicious circle of everything making everything worse to a virtuous circle of everything helping everything else to get better. Yeah, and it's such a good point. And, you know, I think we'd all love to be able to tell you some stories, Dr. Herbert, about, uh, you know, what we've seen in practices with, with these sort of children and the changes they can see under chiropractic care. And, and unfortunately, in, in Australia, we're not allowed to do that. We're, we're actually not allowed to tell, to use testimonials um, in any way, shape or form. And so um, so we can't share those stories. But, but obviously, when you're talking about that, it's obviously really important then, isn't it? If we're talking about a healthy body and a healthy brain, then it's really important that that nervous system, that communication between the brain and the body is, is clear and functioning well, isn't it? Right. Are you guys allowed to write case histories? Case studies, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it is important to have that, that functioning working. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it, the more we know, the more we know that it really is a systems thing and not just this little chemical here or that little neurotransmitter there. It's... it's um... It's a bit mind-boggling, I think, for many people to wonder where they should start with this sort of thing. And I think, Dr. Herbert, um, many people who are faced with, uh, with autism or children with autism, they get a little bit confused. Is, do you have any golden eggs, some tips that people could actually take from this podcast that they might be able to share with their friends or family or implement themselves? What sorts of things can people start to do um, to, to start to get things back on track for the children? Well, you know, on my autism revolution website i have a one page list of 10 tips that you can download uh and uh basically go for the extraordinary in your in your child with autism you don't have to make them normal but give them the chance to be everything they can be and sometimes they will be remarkably brilliant in ways that are very different from a lot of other people and very very valuable and and Go for the health, the whole health, and, and nothing then, but the health. Right, and go for the whole autism revolution because it's really a lot more than about autism. It's about the health that all of us need to get back in our own bodies, in our own families, and then in the world, so that we don't have to have these problems and that we can recreate something that's going to last. And uh, so, Dr. Herbert, we spoke a little bit earlier about the, the Mind Forum that's coming up and it's going to be in Sydney and it's going to be just amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Having heard this interview, um, I can't wait to hear what you're going to come up with. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit about um, what you're going to be speaking about at the Mind Forum? I know you're speaking in the paleo section and also in the, the other section as well. What are you going to be doing? So the main thing that I've been trying to go around and explain to people is for the people to have a better idea of the whole body type approach to the brain. I'm speaking on that in Sydney. I'm also going to be speaking at that in the ancestral health meeting in the States in August, the paleo conference. And, um, and I'm, I, because I think that we just don't get it that the brain is, it's, it's like a giant living ecosystem that has tissues. And so I want to make it very personal for people to have a whole body approach to the brain. And 
Um, I'm going to be doing that and really for the doctors and also for the paleo people. I'm actually going to do that here uh, in the States as well. Uh, it's, it's something that I feel that I feel like a lot of people who do biomedical type treatments for autism and other health problems, when they get to the brain, they get very confused and they, they start thinking, they just don't get it that when you, when you're going to do these treatments, you need to understand how much you're taking care of the, the health of the brain as an organ and not just as a computer. So I'm going to, I'm going to link people's daily life practices to an approach to the brain that is transformative and that opens you up to how you're helping the brain with every healthy choice you make. Nice. Fantastic. Um, for anybody who wants more information uh, of where you can listen to Dr. Herbert, it's actually at mind, M-I-N-D-D dot org. And uh, the Mind International Forum um, in 2013 here is actually on the 17th to the 20th of May, and it's going to be in Sydney, Australia. Um, Dr. Herbert, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. It's been wonderful listening to everything you've been able to, to uh, share with us. Um, to find more information about Dr. Herbert, please go to marthaherbert.org for her website. And uh, make sure you do check out her book, uh, which is at uh, autismrevolution.org. It's a great book, and it's, uh, I think it's uh, encompasses a lot of things that uh, will help not only people with autism, but just to some of the principles is the exact same principles that we would promote on the Wellness Guy show. So thank you so and much, Dr. Herbert. Too, so, so that's terrific. So the price has gone down. Sorry, what was that? We didn't catch that. The book has just gone out on paperback, so that's terrific. Oh, perfect. Excellent. So definitely got to get your copy there. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Herbert. From, uh, that we um, didn't do from... was actually talk about the effect of EMF, electromagnetic uh, or EMR, electromagnetic radiation. I was thinking about the band. But uh, Dr. Herbert, could you just share with us a little bit about uh, EMR? Yeah. The electromagnetic uh, frequencies and radio frequency radiation and Wi-Fi are invisible and you can't smell or taste them. But by now, there's been thousands upon thousands of papers showing biological effects, and not necessarily from the heat heating of the tissue, but from interference with biological processes. And I recently wrote a very long paper, 60 pages, uh, with 550 references. And what I did was I reviewed the biological problems that by now are well documented in autism, oxidative stress, inflammation, various other things. And I showed that point by point the things that EMF has been shown to do are in parallel with the biological problems in autism. Now, I didn't say that, therefore, EMF causes autism, but I did say that people with autism are going to be more vulnerable and that they really, if they, it would be a good idea and a good precautionary thing to watch out for unnecessary exposures. Don't put your baby monitor next to your baby's head. Avoid unnecessary exposures you know, keep the Wi-Fi down, turn your power off at night in your house, a whole lot of things and more. My paper was uploaded on the bioinitiative.org, and it's also marthaherbert.org uh, under my publications. And uh, there's going to be more where that came from. Just I'm fascinated with the brain as an electrical, electrical system, electromagnetic signaling system, and 
how that signaling can be destabilized. I think that's one of the problems with autism. So I found a goldmine of literature in the electromagnetic research, of which, like I said, there are thousands upon thousands of pertinent papers. Well, uh, and lengthy reviews of them, of, there's like 24 chapters, of which mine is only one on the bio initiative, B-I-O-I-N-I-T-I. I'm going to mess that up. Bio initiative. <laughs> initiative. So, uh, Dr. Heavy, yeah. congratulations. Cause you, you've just managed to freak out the wellness guys because we're all kind of in the computer generation and we do a podcast show. We're all sitting here with our Wi-Fi on right now. I've got my mobile phone sitting right next to me. Um, so, so what can we do? What sort of things should we be thinking about aside from obviously switching everything off, which you know that's freaking us out as well. <laughs> but aside from switching anything off, are there other things that we can do to help reduce um, you know, maybe mobile phone shields or earthing mats or, you know, what sort of stuff can we do to help reduce that exposure? You guys might think of not keeping your cell phones in your pocket because they're associated with sperm damage. Mm-hmm. And, and the mutations that the the mutations that we see in kids but not in their parents, that's one of a variety of possible sources of them. So that's definitely something that you can do. Um, I don't want to speak for some of these technologies. They may be good, they may be bad, but you know, that you, across the board, I wouldn't really be sure. I'm not either condemning or praising as, as every single product. Um, and also, honestly, your state of health affects how vulnerable you are. Um, in studies that were done with whole populations where they didn't have a, a cell tower and then they did, the people who got hit hardest were the very young, the very old, and the sick. The, the robust, healthy adults didn't take it so hard. Of course, you're going to wear yourself down, and then at some point, something may tip you over and you won't be a healthy person anymore, and you don't want that. Um, I think that over time, we're going to have to figure out... I mean, I love my iPad. I understand how you guys feel. You know, I got this <laughs> iPad, a fabulous keyboard, and it's changed my life, and it's a tough thing. But I still think that there's things that, that you just shouldn't be cavalier about it. No, that's for sure. It uh, makes total sense. I, I mean, I can't actually have the Bluetooth on um, in the car at all because it actually just gives me a headache every time it goes on. So I actually turn it off. But it explains a lot to Damien because he's like a, a Wi-Fi Bluetooth um, tower at the moment. <laughs> the moment everything switched on around him. He's probably broadcasting a Wi-Fi signal. Uh, I'm actually quite scared. <laughs> um, thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Herbert. That's fantastic. And, uh... It's fabulous. So, I mean, just think about it and mm. we'll figure this out. Together, you know, as we go forward, a lot of us are going to start trying to be more constructive about this. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Herbert, for your extra time here. And uh, I think it's a very important uh, aspect to talk about. Thank you, Dr. Herbert. Sure, my pleasure. So, guys, um, as always, go to uh, thewellnesscouch.com. Leave your comments below this particular episode and tell us what you think um, and carry the conversation. We'd love to know a little bit more about your um, experience with autism and uh, with diets and also with the um, the toxic, um, removing toxics that are actually from our uh, healthy lifestyles um, and also go up to iTunes of course as always to subscribe and make your comment below and give us a rating on iTunes as you can, as always so until next week begin creating wellness into your lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the Wellness Guy Show this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, this is Dr. Lawrence Tam from Inside the Champion's Mind. 
So how does spending 10 hours with the wellness guys, the Upper Chat Girls, and 500 other wellness-minded people sound to you? Well, on Saturday, August 17th at the Crown in Melbourne is the place to be for our next wellness summit. Group discounts are available for 10 or more delegates, so why not bring your colleagues, your friends, and family for even greater experience? For group discounts and to secure your spot, go to thewellnesssummit.com.